say Darien Mercredi. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. The other day, I was at a birthday party on a friend's rooftop, chatting with a friend who has been unemployed for a year and a half. This is one of the smartest, most hardworking, well-educated friends I have. So it makes no sense, and it's so hard. But she said, in a couple weeks, it's the five-year anniversary of my first date with my husband. And so it got me thinking to where I was five years ago. I was working a miserable job, had no idea what I was passionate about, single, living in a small town. If I could have seen where I'd be in just five years, married to this amazing guy, living in New York City with a graduate degree, incredible friends and community, even without a job right now, I would totally take this life. I would have been so encouraged by what was coming. So I'm trusting that in five years, this unemployment season will have been a blip to learn from. If you listen to episode one on my darkest moments, those ended just about five years ago. If you could have told that girl who felt so depleted she was having suicidal thoughts and ended up in the psychiatric ward, that this is where she would be in just five years. It's so wild to put myself back in that position and think about that. But we don't get that assurance. We don't know. And so when things are hard, we focus much more short term. What if I have to go through another year, another summer, another holiday season like fill in the blank, at that job that doesn't fulfill me, single, not having gotten pregnant, still in debt. Five years is actually not that much time. Where would you need to be in five years to be blown away delighted? Meanwhile, the thing is that five months can feel like an eternity when you're not happy. When you're taking the pregnancy test every month, going on a new first date every week, experiencing the Sunday sads because you really loathe your job. I'm in a season right now where I've decided I have had it with not getting enough done. For as long as I can remember, I have lived my life feeling like I don't get enough done. We use a project management system. It's just kind of where all of my to-dos are for for myself, but also for all of our projects as a company. It's how we communicate. It's how we delegate things back and forth. There's Plenty of other out there, but that's what I mean when I say sauna. And I am finally ready to deal with the fact that every week I probably get done 50% of the things that I say I'm going to do. And then I just drag them over to the next week where I remain behind because now they're just constantly piling up. There's a bit of growth to do in productivity, but, you know, I, I could be working a little faster to get things done. But mostly it's about doing less, admitting that I will do less and choosing what I want to get done. Go back and re-listen to episode four on how to get more done while crying and drinking less for more of the specifics. Um, But when you acknowledge that you simply will do less, then you have to or get to choose what you'll say yes to. And I'm curious of asking yourself, where do I want to be in five years? What do I want my life to look like in five years? will help you decide, will help you narrow down what those priorities are. 
And also, what have I been wanting in the last five years? So I'll use myself as an example. For more than the last five years, I have felt badly that I don't work out. I've already talked about this on this podcast. It makes me anxious that I'll wake up one morning and realize my body went to ish and then I'll have to dig out of a hole with my weight and body like I talked about in episode one when I was a professional dancer. People say it will help with my anxiety and mood. So since I struggle with anxiety, I feel weak for not trying it. People say it will help my brain and my body in old age, which course I'm concerned about, so I feel irresponsible for not taking care of myself. So I'm saying yes to it in this season of my life because I'm very clear that it super matters. And that has allowed me to prioritize it, fight for it on my calendar, because I really have thought about where I want to be in five years and realized this is the direction I want to be headed in. So I'm going to say yes to this, and therefore I'm going to have to find time in my schedule to say no to something else. For the last three years, I have tried to learn French. I've added to my to-do list. I've bought online courses. I've started and stopped listening to podcasts or using my Duolingo app. I mean, y'all, I planned an elopement to the south of France in part because it was supposed to help us stay accountable to learning French so we could say our vows to one another in French, which did not happen. I mean, well, it did, or I did at least. I don't think Jeremy did. Um, I did put some French in my wedding vows, but it wasn't good. (laughs) The wedding was great, so it was totally fine. But um, we finally said, okay, how can we hold ourselves accountable to the school? We will go to France for three months. Well, then we spent a year of our life wedding planning, and we're like, we miss our friends. We miss having a real life. We realized we didn't want to be gone that long. So now we've shortened it to six weeks, and therefore that allowed us to put other anchors in. Okay, We are taking a class that we signed up for because we worked backwards. And we're like, okay, we need to take this class now so that it ends before we leave. We're going to get a tutor while we are there to continue that. We really like the place that we're taking French at, so we're committing to keep going. So why does French matter to me? That's really where I have to look ahead to the next five years of my life. Why is it so worth my really saying yes to and prioritizing this? Well, The story for me comes, uh, for those of you who followed me on Snapchat, when Snapchat was like having a minute, this was while I was on sabbatical, and I had this little group of like 500 people who viewed my Snapchat stories, but like, man, they were there for a ride because I was on sabbatical for four months in Europe, and this there was this magical story about this time when the guy that I was kind of dating and traveling with for a little bit of that summer. He wanted to be more spontaneous, so we didn't book an Airbnb, and then it was too late in the day, and there weren't any available, and we were freaking out because we didn't have a place to stay, and we pulled into this little hotel, and they didn't have any room, but the people were magical, and they gave us dinner and drinks, and it was this French woman and an Australian couple. She had been their neighbor in Australia. Then she moved back to open the uh, hotel, The Australian couple, her family lived uh, in the town next door, and then the family that we ended up staying with, who was just magical and we were obsessed with them, they they all were friends. And basically, it was this, uh, this rhythm that this Australian couple comes back every summer, and they have community in the village. And we were like brought into this. Like they have two different houses to go hang out at and there's a dog and there's a pool and there's teenagers. And we were all sitting in the square watching the Euro Cup together when France was playing that summer. And it put this idea in my mind of wanting to find a place, probably in the south of France, 
that we fall in love with that we will return to every summer where we could actually get plugged into a church community and make friends and make community and rather than just traveling all over. So I have this very specific vision for our life that Jeremy is totally on board with that makes it so worth it for me to really prioritize taking French right now because it matters deeply to my vision for my life in five years and beyond. It is not something that is just a an idea that I had or something I saw on Instagram or something somebody else said. And when I really dove into it, I'm saying yes, confidently and prioritizing it because it's been a desire for a long time. And I see how it will open up an entire lifestyle we want to embrace for the rest of our lives. Recently, a girlfriend of mine was telling me how she doesn't want to be with someone romantically who's an actor. She doesn't want to date fellow actors. And I asked her when she looked ahead five years from now, what it would mean to be married to an actor. What would it look or feel like that she doesn't want? Because specifically when it comes to dating, and I also see this in entrepreneurship or business and creative goals, I think we say we want things without always really asking why. So then why? But then why? And really digging into that because there's a reason she doesn't want to be with another actor but it actually might not have anything to do with their profession. Maybe she doesn't want to feel financially unstable. So actually, it doesn't matter if it's an actor, if he's Brad Pitt. It matters that he's financially stable in his career. Maybe she doesn't want to be apart and already sees herself needing to be gone a lot for work and wants to be with someone who is more often in New York or can travel with her. So actually, maybe it doesn't matter if he's an actor He could be a voiceover actor who can record from anywhere. Maybe it would be far more problematic if he's a business guy who travels all over the world weekly. Maybe she doesn't want to feel competitive in her career. But what if she met someone who was so encouraging and inspiring that she became better, more brilliant because they had one another as their most secure and ardent cheerleaders and collaborators? During a Q&A on Instagram, I was asked, do you think it's important to marry someone who shares your religion? Well, when my parents met, my dad was a pastor and my mom had never been to church, which blows our mind in hindsight. My dad is also nine years older than my mom. He was a religion professor at a school she went to, like, accidentally because of a construction thing. It's a long story. And um, it's absolutely gobsmacking to my sister and I. Like, how could you be a preacher at a church a professor dating a 19-year-old student who's nine years younger than you who doesn't go to church and none of the people in leadership at your church were bothered by this? <laughs> but my parents are like, apparently not. So anyways, I have that example in my past of the fact that that was important to my dad. He was a minister, for goodness sakes, professionally. And yet he dated my mom and then she came to faith and they now have a wonderful marriage sharing the same faith. I have at least two dear girlfriends who come to mind who are very passionate about their faith, married to men who don't share it and really love their marriages and families. In my case, I pictured what would happen if, heaven forbid, we had a child who was really sick in the hospital. And for me personally, I wanted someone who would pray with me. When I fast forwarded five years into the future and thought about what do I really want in a dark moment of life from a marriage, that was my honest answer. 
I also knew for whatever reason, I had always pictured my wedding in a church and with worship music. It wasn't the aesthetic of it, like visually a church, or it wasn't just because that's all I'd seen. It's just the vision that would come to me as I was singing in church, single and yearning for love. I just would end up picturing this joyful celebration of worship at the end of the altar with my husband. I didn't want it because it's what I was supposed to want or I got the image from someone else. But what I wanted for my life was to share that same faith with my husband. And yes, I also dated a ton of guys who didn't share it because, well, you know, you heard my parents' story and I'm like, well, try to stay open and who knows. Meanwhile, the kind of guys I dated, well, I described my type as like chief marketing officer or uh chief innovation officer. I dated cinematographers and brand agency execs. I thought that what I thought I wanted a life that would feel like a power couple, like travel, influence, impact. But I got to thinking recently, there was an Italian guy I dated who was a CIO, chief innovation officer, and he traveled so much that he ended up in the hospital. Literally, the doctors were like, he ended up with some condition that happens when your body is changing time zones so rapidly. And they were like, you're going to give yourself this other condition if you don't do this. And as an entrepreneur, I could absolutely have traveled with him. That would have been such a win of being paired with someone like that for both of us, which sounds so exciting. He was going to Singapore and Switzerland and all of these places. I'm sure he was flying first class and I could have flown first class with him. Could I have written a book on that constant schedule, created a course, hosted this podcast? Could I actually run a business on a different time zone every week from airplanes and hotels when I really picture myself arriving in some new city, he's whisked off for meetings that have already been planned, and now I'm wandering around Hong Kong trying to find a cafe with free Wi-Fi and trying to figure out what to eat and just feeling like, well, I'm only in Hong Kong for a few days, so I should sightsee, right? But then, ah, I'm also supposed to be on this deadline doing this thing for work. Like, imagine five years of that. Was it really going to be that exciting? But initially, when I just thought about it in a three-month or six-month capacity, that sounded like such a perk. And this was the kind of guy I absolutely wanted to be dating. When I really now play it out in the five-year vision, it doesn't sound super sustainable for the, the kind of life I want, which is really around my business and, and creativity and creating and because I believe it's my my mission. Instead, when I met Jeremy, he had just gotten laid off from downsizing. It's actually part of our dating story that he like asked for asked for my number, asked me on a Tuesday, asked me out on Friday. Come Thursday, I knew I was going to see him at something and he hadn't called. And I went to dinner with a guy friend before and I was like, I don't know what is up with this guy because he knows he's going to see me tonight. He asked me out for tomorrow. He hasn't called. Of course, it's going to be awkward. So I was like, well, I am not going to talk to him and he's going to have to fight for it if he wants to talk to me. So I just busied myself with all the stuff that I was doing. It was a Christmas carol service at our church. And I like totally made him um, come up and talk to me at the end of the night. Well, poor guy. Turns out it's because he asked me out on Tuesday and then got fired on Wednesday like a few days before Christmas and had was like in such a whirlwind that, you know, don't blame him. Calling a girl for a date was not the first thing on his on his mind. But he certainly didn't have the flashy career title that I would previously have said was what I wanted. 
again, not for the acclaim, but because of the lifestyle I thought I wanted. I wasn't, when I said power couple, it wasn't that I thought this guy will make me look cooler. I really thought, yeah, I want this this travel, like the the affluence of the affluence of freedom. That's the kind of lifestyle I want. But those other guys that I was dating in the year before I broke up with Jeremy, they couldn't have gone to France with me for six months this summer. They couldn't travel with me on my future book tour like he and I plan to so we don't have to be apart. They couldn't commit to going to French class every Monday night because they wouldn't always, they wouldn't be in town. They'd always be traveling. Instead, Jeremy doesn't have to travel for work, so we could look at that and be like, yes, we can commit to 10 weeks and choose together to not go out of town so we can commit to this class. Um, we have this vision of a life where we can spend winters in California with our families and summers in the south of France. I knew what I wanted in five years. I just hadn't peeled back the layers to really explore what it would take to get me there. In my case, I was dating, was I dating the kind of guy who was really going to have and create that life with me? Where were you five years ago? I think it would be so powerful if you would truly take the time to sit down and write out everything amazing that's happened in the last five years. Just bullet that out. I have two friends who've lost children in the last year or two, and I think about them a lot. Like, what would Harvey and Ruthie say, looking back to five years ago, pregnant with their first baby that doctors had said she'd never be able to carry, to find themselves today having buried four-year-old Abigail and her unborn sister, Sophia, when a driver ran through a red light in our neighborhood last year? What would Mike and Ashley say, looking back five years ago, when they overnight became parents to two siblings, Shiloh and Zoe, in immediate need of adoption, an adoption that would later be contested. And after four years as a family, they would be whisked away one day after school by social services, never to come home again. And I share those stories because I acknowledge that some of you listening may have been through a nightmare that if you'd seen five years ago would have made you want to quit on life. But I choose to believe for you that five years from today, life will be so much better than you can imagine right now. Not better because of that devastating thing, not saying, it see, it happened for a reason, or there's a silver lining to everything, or any of that ish, but, but in spite of it, better than you can comprehend and imagine today that it could be. For most of you, though, I would imagine there has been way more good in the last five years than you would have dreamed of and then you ha- that you have acknowledged. Five years ago, my husband and three of my bridesmaids didn't even live in New York. The church where we all met had barely started. It was five people in a living room. Two of my friends weren't moms. My niece and nephew didn't exist, or my niece barely did. My anxiety was wild. My business was exhausting. I was less physically healthy. So many things. And then after you've celebrated the last five years, really get specific about your five-year dreams. I want to be making a massive national and global difference in how beautiful women feel. That means I am fighting to get my first book written as I see how it will lead to the second and the third and the TV series. If you want to be running your own business, just start on that path. Start small, but just start. 
if your life won't actually wildly be better because you can play the the piano, then let that go and focus on getting to the gym instead that is going to heal the back pain that you know will limit your ability to carry a baby to term. That is going to wildly impact your life more five years from now. But maybe you're not getting to the gym because for whatever reason, you decided to prioritize piano without really looking down the pike or it sounds more fun. It's 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 easier. You've got accountability because your friend also goes to piano class or whatever it is. But if you actually look five years down the road, is piano really going to make your life as good as if you would commit to going to the Pilates class that's going to strengthen your back or whatever it is? If your husband having gone to a fancy college won't actually make your life and relationship and marriage better, let go of that list you have of the guy you want that, you know, you want him to have gone to some fancy school, be Ivy League educated or whatever, and focus more on the fact that he's curious and compassionate and that he too wants children or doesn't want children. What are the things that will really matter five years from now? If you want desperately to be pregnant and are being told it will be hard for you for medical reasons, dive in more every quarter to holistic health, what you're eating, Anything you can find that honors that dream, that prioritizes what matters most, and let go of other things to keep your eye focused on where you want to be most in five years. It's pretty amazing where we all were just five years ago and where we are today. And it will be pretty amazing where we are in the year 2024. Choose the people, priorities, activities and aspirations that will get you to that magical life you dream of and be okay letting go of the rest. There's way less that matters than we think and way better awaiting us in five years than we believe. Also, you know what else lasts five years? You taking 30 seconds right now to swipe up, hit the stars, and type in a few words like, I freaking love this podcast. (laughs) Because seriously, in 2024, that could still be blessing someone having a rough day and looking for some inspiration. So I know podcasts always say go leave a review, but just do it today. And then anytime in the future, you can give yourself a high five and be like, um, yeah, I'm kind of an awesome person. I already did that. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is the fact that the title and topic of this episode is reminding me of a show called The Last Five Years by Jason Robert Brown. I am not much of a music person, which I feel like is weird to say. I feel like everyone's a music person. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm not really a music person. I am a choreographer and a creator and a creative, and therefore I just can't listen to music passively. I am constantly creating a ice skating routine in my head if I've just watched the Olympics or more likely a music video that will never see the light of day. Um, This is where the music video in which I revealed Jeremy, it's um, in my pinned IG stories if you want to go take a look, Um, but I revealed him to a Taylor Swift music video because I walk around thinking these things like freak. Anyways, I don't have a ton of associations to music, but this is one of those rare times where there is an album that I have such a memory of where I was at in my life, who I was with. It was my best guy friend from high school, Ryan, who gave it to me. It was an actual CD. This tells you how long ago that was. It is this beautiful story of a relationship 
where it's a five-year relationship and the guy tells the story from the beginning to the end and the girl tells it from the end to the beginning. She tells it backwards and they meet in the middle for one song. So the first song in the show, he has just left. And the second song, he has just met her. And oh, it's just so good. They turned it into a movie with Anna Kendrick and some guy whose name I don't know. He was an actor on that show Smash that was on for a while. Anyhow, I have never cried faster in a movie. Like the first strings of the first song started and my friend Monica and I were holding hands already weeping. I was like, Jamie is over and Jamie's gone. Jamie's decided it's time to move on. Jamie has new dreams he's building upon. And I'm still hurting. Ugh, guys. FYI, I was a dancer, not a singer. I'm not singing, so you're like, oh my gosh, what a pretty voice she has. But um, Monica and I, Monica and Ryan and I all lived together when we first moved to the city. This was this very formative um, show for us. And I think it's such an inspiration for today to go take a listen to it and listen to that album and consider or watch the movie and consider how much can happen in five years. Though it is a sad movie, it is incredibly powerful and beautifully written, and I highly recommend it. So you are welcome in advance. Do you have a uh, album like that? Um, Come over to Instagram and tell me. I would love to hear it. The other one for me is uh, Rent. I went to see, my friends and I were obsessed with Rent, and we went to see it. It was playing at the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles. And uh, we went to a Saturday matinee. Neil Patrick Harris was playing the lead. My friend Monica, different Monica, was totally obsessed with him. So we went and waited at the stage door. And then ultimately, she didn't have the courage to go and say hi. And I actually remember, guys, once, this is just coming back to me, we got pulled over in a car because we were playing our music too loud. <laughs> and it was rent. I feel like that just sums me up in life. Like, have you ever gotten pulled over for, for, by a cop? Yeah, it was for busting my musical theater jams too aggressively. <laughs> like, AM scene. So we really loved Rent. We're standing at the stage door. And I have such a distinct memory that they came out and we didn't have the courage to say hi. And they walked away and they turned the corner. I'm getting emotional to say this. They turned the corner and we thought, um, I remember it saying like, how amazing is this? Like they just did a show together and they're just going to have dinner and then they're going to come back and do it again. I mean, we just, we only got to do shows like eight times, you know, when you're in school and you're doing it for free. And the fact that these people did this as a job just blew our minds. And then when I got cast in the Broadway tour of 42nd Street, I remember the casting director, Sarah, called me. She was British, had the loveliest accent. She's like, hello, I'm calling to tell you that um, congratulations, you've been cast in uh, the first national tour of 42nd Street. And I just burst into tears. And she was like, are you all right? And I was like, yes, <laughs> just keep talking. All right. And so she's like telling me the details, when rehearsal starts, how much money I'll be making. And then um, she's like, do you have any other, do you have any other questions? And I said, oh, we, um, where are we going? And she said, oh, well, the um, the tour, the cities are still being finalized and we'll be sending that show away. But um, being from California, you'll um, you'll be thrilled to know uh, that you you'll be playing the Amundsen in Los Angeles for two months. Oh, and by the way, I said Pantages earlier. I meant Amundsen. Guys, I was playing at the Amundsen Theater, the biggest theater in Los Angeles for two months 
where I had stood outside like five seconds ago outside the stage door watching other people being like, look how incredible that life was. Like, I just lost it. Like, I'm losing it again. That just so summed up for me. Like, like I knew it was amazing that I was doing a Broadway tour, but it's like that just, it hit me in that moment. Like, I am living a life that I never, never could have dreamed that I would get to live. Like, this is so much better. And I didn't really mean to get emotional at the end of this um, episode and go on this tangent, but I think it actually is appropriate for this episode that if you could have told me five years before that, that that would be my life. I mean, it goes back to the episode on dating and like it gets better. And man, did I have smaller dreams for my life when I thought I was going to marry my college boyfriend. And I've been very aware of it, um, looking at our wedding photos and, you know, seeing those wedding photos that are just the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my whole entire life and just what they represent. So soon after having recorded that first episode about where I was just five years ago, I just feel like this is a message for someone who is in a really dark time about how much better it is going to get just five years from now and the emphasis on just how that really is closer than we think. And I think it's a message for someone who is feeling discouraged and defeated right now and could gain so much encouragement from your own story by going and looking back at where you were just five years ago and all that you have accomplished and just how far you've come. All right. With emotion and tears, with grace, with gumption, you are welcome in advance. All the things. Please come over and chat with me on Instagram at Hillary Rushford. Because otherwise, guys, I'm just sitting in a little booth talking to myself and crying alone. Guys, how sad is that? Please come say hello at Hillary Rushford. Love you. Bye. Till next Wednesday.